My name is Keith Beavers, and did you know there are battery-powered lawnmowers now? I mean, obviously I got one. This is crazy. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 15 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast Season 2. My name is Keith Beavers, and you know... I am the tastings director of Vine Pear, and what's happening? Okay, so Germany's nuts. It's pretty deep. It's pretty intense. But there's things we have to talk about. I mean, I can't get into all of it, but we need to talk about Germany. We gotta kind of get to know what's happening there. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Cheers and all the best. I know I say it a lot. Like, I, when we're talking about a country... When we're talking about wine, I'm like, you gotta understand, there's just such a unique thing going on here. And I know I say that a lot, but it's true. Every country in Europe, or every wine region in general, has such a unique story. Um, and in Europe, you can kind of get a sense of, I, I guess I'm saying this because as we move through these episodes and we talk about European wine regions, you know, I always start with the Greeks, then the Gauls, then the Romans, then the Saracens, the Visigoths, the Moors, the Dukes, and then the monks, and then the kings and the queens, and then the revolution. And the, You know, there's always these things going on. But within that, there's all this uniqueness, you know? I also say this because it's hard to explain how intense the history of Germany is in general... And then to connect wine to that. Of all the wine regions that I've researched, this country seems to change hands so frequently throughout history that the wine industry is always playing catch up with what's going on politically and geopolitically in wartime or whatever in Germany. We're starting, I mean, we're talking all the way back before Charlemagne, because Charlemagne was a, fr- was a Frank, you know, he was, he was German, to before Charlemagne, all the way up to the 1980s. <laughs> I mean, this country has been trying to equalize itself for so long, and it's finally getting there, like, in modern times, like, we're talking, like, in the last 30, 50 years. And beyond the history of, well, we have to put these grapes in the ground to make money, whatever these grapes are, like champagne, Germany went through a trial and error situation as well, where champagne had all this crazy climate to deal with. So did Germany. And the varieties that survive today, that are celebrated today, are the varieties that survived this land, (laughs) along with the humans. And I know this happens all over Europe, you know, there's always these big shifts in history and the wine industry adapts. But in Germany, it just seems so dramatic. It's almost like every time something shifted, the industry had to really move to acclimate the new thing. I mean, at some point in the wine region, the classical wine region of Germany 
an entire section was lobbed off and given to France, the, the region of Alsace. It's crazy. I mean, imagine adapting to that. Okay, so we've lost an entire... So we've lost an entire wine region. So an entire section of the country is now given to France and we've lost all of the Alsace. All right, cool. Deal with that. And there's a really good chance that if you've heard about German wine, you first hear about Riesling and then you hear about another Riesling and then you hear about another Riesling and another Riesling. Riesling is kind of becoming what I read at one point is the calling card of German wine right now. But for white wine, there's Muller Tergau, Silvaner, Graubegunder, which is Pinot Gris, and Weissbegunder, which is Pinot Blanc. For red, there's Spatbegunder, which is Pinot Noir, Dornfelder, which is an awesome kind of like engineered variety, Portugieser, Trollinger, Pinot Meunier, and Lemberger, which in Austria they call Blaufrankisch. There are a lot of different varieties being grown in Germany. The thing is, the percentage of those under vine is so small, we don't see a lot of that over on the American market. So mostly what we see here is either Riesling or sort of everyday affordable German wines. It's not easy to find, but Dornfelder is like a very affordable, easy drinking, soft red wine that often comes in one liter bottles that is a great wine for a party. It's awesome. We just don't see a lot of it around. Muller, Turgal, Silvaner, these are wines, uh, grapes that make wines that are more popular in northern Italy than they are in Germany, even though they probably originated in Germany alone. Germany is even messing around with Chardonnay these days. And the Pinot Meunier thing is just crazy. In the Riesling episode, I kind of gave you a rundown of the wine-growing region of Germany. So I'm not going to get too deep into that because I really want to talk to you guys now about German wine law. It's something you have to kind of get, if you want to get into German wine, these days German wine law is is happening. There are a lot of winemakers that are kind of shunning it. There's also even a, a, a an organization that was formed to kind of write their own laws within the law. It's It's kind of complicated. So I'm going to kind of get into that more than anything else. If you want to get like a really nice, deep wine region specific, Go ahead and listen to the Riesling episode. We'll get into that. Just a quick recap. Wine growing and producing regions in Germany are mainly located in the southern part of the country. That area is classically known as the Palatinate. In German, it's the word Pfalz. So the lower part of the Palatinate would be Unterfalz, lower Palatinate. And it's here that the majority of the wine Appalachians of the wine regions exist. Um, the classic, the, the most, the oldest vineyards are on the left bank of the Rhine River, and then the right bank, going south, has more of historically newer sites, if you will. That just kind of shows you how old this place is. And these regions, I get into more in the Riesling episode. And here's the capper: across all thirteen wine regions, the way German wine is classified is different than you would see in other places in Europe. It's the, the qualification and the classification of German wine is based on the must, or I should say must wait. And you'll remember must uh, from the first season all the way in the beginning. We're talking about how wine is made. 
must is that organic material after the crush that is just great skins and moisture and flesh and pips and skins, all that, all that stuff. What's also in that is all the natural sugar that the yeast is about to eat. And that sugar adds to the weight of the must. The more sugar in the must, the heavier the must. And in Germany, they've developed a scale to weigh this must. It's called the Erxle scale. O-E-C-H-S-L-E. Erxle. There are also other scales out there to weigh the sugar or waste must. There's bricks, which is very popular in the United States. Another one called Bohm. But what, and, and they're all kind of interconnected. Like X amount of Erxle is X amount of bricks. It all kind of correlates together. But what you're trying to do is usually when you're weighing must weight, you're going to, you're estimating and calculating what will be the future alcohol percentage of the wine. For example, in America, 23 to 24 bricks, I think is about 13 or 13.5% alcohol. And Urxla, it would just, there would be an Urxla equivalent to that. And the science and technology around this stuff is really cool. I don't really understand it completely. You use something called a hydrometer and something called a refractometer. The refractometer kind of makes a little bit sense to me. It's basically like the less you can see, the more dense the sugar is. I, it's hard to explain. But the German wine law states is that depending on the must weight, depending on the sugar and the future alcoholic content of the wine will, will, be, will determine where the wine is classified. I know, it's crazy, it's different, it's kind of cool. Let's get into it. German wine has basically two categories. And the second category has other stuff in it, which we'll get into. The first category was once called Tafelwein, or table wine. It's now called Deutscher wine, or land wine. This is similar to the entry-level categories in other European countries, like Vendoupe, uh, in France, which is country wine, and Vino da Tavola in Italy, which would mean table wine. So, but the thing is, in Spain, or in Italy, in Spain, and France, these categories exist, and a lot of wine is made within those categories. But traditionally in Germany, not a lot of this category is made. It says about less than 4% of it is made. And right now on the American market, other than Riesling, that's the majority of the wine we're going to see. They're often very affordable. They're often a little bit sweet, red, and white. But keep an eye on these because they're in Germany, in this category, they're trying to elevate this level of wine a little bit. I believe they might be taking a little bit of this sugar out, trying to elevate the acidity. That's just my theory. But keep an eye out. There's some probably some awesome stuff coming in the future. The second category is the largest category. And it is what we're going to see mostly in the United States, when you look at a bottle of Riesling, this is what you're going to see. This category is called Qualitätswein, which means quality wine from a specific region. And basically, that's the AOC of France, the DOC of Italy, the DO of Spain. This is the sort of, you know, regular run-of-the-mill EU controlled Appalachian system. But all similarities with that end there. For a wine to be part of this category... The grape must originate from one of the 13 wine appellations of Germany, and it needs to reach the minimum must weight of that region, and even beyond that, the variety itself. Every region has different must weight requirements. Every grape has its own must weight requirements. And within this category, there's a superior category that you can be elevated to. 
And it's similar to the DOC and DOCG of Italy, but not really. Okay, let me explain. This is the scale. This is the thing. This is the 1971 German wine law saying, hey, we are going to categorize our wine by increasing must weights. So we need to have categories for each of those must weights. So they created a category within Qualitätswein called Predikatswein or superior quality wine. And there are six predicates or categories within the predicates. And all of this and all of these categories are based on the Erxla scale. So this is what you're going to see. And we're talking about, well, let's, you know, we're talking about German wine, but basically you're going to see this on Riesling bottles, okay? You have Cabinet, you have Spätlese, you have Ausschlese, Beeren Ausschlese, Ice Wine, and Trocken Beeren Ausschlese. Cabinet, or the first level of these predicates, is the lightest of all of them. It has the least amount of sugar. In, in Erxla, it's 70 to 82 degrees Erxla. <laughs> Basically, that just means it's going to be about maybe 10, maybe 11 degrees alcohol at the most. A lot of them are between 7 and 8 degrees alcohol. Some people like to say that because it's the lightest, it can be some of the most affordable. And the word cabinet means you want to keep it in your cabinet just for any given time, which I think that there's something about that that's true. But what I read is this more about like the cap, the word cabinet used to be a word used to define quality, like even just not just wine, but anything of quality, something you'd want to display on your cabinet. I don't understand that that too much. That's kind of where it comes from. And these are light wines, high acid, bright fruit. And in the, in the Riesling category, they're fizzy and beautiful and very refreshing. The next category or predicat is called Spätlese. It translates as late harvest, but for this predicate category, it really means the sugar levels at harvest. And sometimes they're picked later than grapes for cabinet. And now we're straight up up on the Erxla. You know what I mean? <laughs> this category is ups the Erxla, and this is where a wine will result in about 10 to 12% alcohol. You'll notice a little more sweetness. You're still getting a lot of acidity, but the sweetness is starting to increase a little bit of Spätlese. The next level is Ausschlesa, which translates to selected harvest. And back in the day, traditionally, what it was is the grapes that are picked one week after the initial pick. These days, it's a little bit different. It just means the must wait at harvest. And these wines reach about upwards of almost 14%, about up to 13.8 or so percent alcohol, which is kind of in that normal sort of what we know as American wine drinkers. Next is Bieren Ausschlesa. And also ice wine. They're kind of in the similar category of on the Erxla scale. But Bieren Ausschlesa means berry selection. And often these wine grapes are infected with Botrytis cinera, otherwise known as noble rot. This is something I go into in the Bordeaux episode. The alcohol for these wines can be between 15 and 18% alcohol. We're getting pretty alcoholic here, but the thing about this category for Riesling specifically, this is where Riesling, Riesling ages almost forever. This is, the, this is a very, this is sort of like the long-lived category for Riesling. And the last category is Trockenbären Ausschlesse. And this means berry selection, but shriveled on the vine berry selection. So these berries have been infected with noble rot significantly, 
and are made into wine. This is the highest must weight for any predicate. And at one time, it was kind of an infrequent category, but it's getting warmer in Germany in the Palatinate. So these Trockenbeeren Ausschlesse are being made more often. So all of this was created in 1971, or I guess solidified. Um, And then there's all these tweaks going on throughout the years up until 2009. But this is, that's the general rule of how you will see wines on the American market, especially Riesling. Now, there's something very specific happening here in that this these wine laws are, are, are pretty dense. They're really well thought out. It makes complete sense. All of it makes sense. It's all about must weight. It makes sense. But there's a quality control situation here because this is a broad rule across all regions, across all grape varieties. So in the early 20th century, an organization called the VDP, Verband Deutscher Produktsweinguter, that was initially developed by the few or a small group of fine wine producers in the region, um, specifically for auctioning. This is when auctioning wines had come to Germany, like the idea of auctioning wines had come to Germany. Um, over the years, today, uh, it actually includes winemakers from all 13 wine regions. But what the VDP does is very interesting in that they design their own protocols within the Qualitätswein and Pratikatswein category. And they're doing this because their eye on quality was like a hawk. This organization is so um, determined to produce quality that they will change the rules of the country. They will, they will tweak the actual country's wine laws to do whatever they want to make better wine. And they have tried for a long time to get these new protocols into law. Obviously, it's not working. But what is happening is a lot of the winemakers around them that necessarily aren't necessarily in the VDP are looking to the VDP and using their strategies as well because it's a quality-minded, quality-driven organization. That's crazy. I mean, does that make sense? To the VDP, which is now over 200 estates across the wine regions of Germany, they feel that lower yields are required and higher must weight is required for better quality wine than what is stated in the German wine law. They're also very big on the varieties being traditionally associated with the area. These are the, this is the group that, that really kind of brought Riesling in as the calling card, being very strict and very adamant about it working there. They're also big on lower yields, and they are, they've made a decision that their driest wines are going to be out of the Pradikat system. And the Pradikat the levels and categories are specifically for definite must-weights, and a lot of other... Uh, winemakers are following suit. So this is the thing about Germany. It's a very, very old, complicated history with wine and just the country itself. And it's, it's changed a lot, so much that today in 2021, it's still, it's, it's under, it understands itself. I mean, they know how to make, I mean, the wine region in Germany is old and it's established and it's incredible and it's amazing but it still has more to do. So what we've talked about in this episode kind of sets up the, uh, the system and then sets up 
what's changed or what's changing. So now when you go out there and enjoy German wine, I mean, you'll start with Riesling and then go everywhere else. You kind of get a sense of what's happening. And as Germany evolves and changes again, you'll be up on that and you'll be ready to go. Okay. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with LaMarca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini in Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Cheers and all the best.